Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Hey, we are in our study in 1 John, and so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Um, you know when you get on a plane and the pilot already knows it's going to be a rough flight and says, hey, we're going to experience turbulence this flight and just seatbelts are going to be on a lot and you're not going to, you know, it's probably not going to be one of those like nice peaceful ones, like your prayer life is going to go up a lot because you don't know if the plane's going to stay in the air. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, this, we're going to hit some turbulence here. Like, um, if you walk out and be like, oh, that was just like a warm message, just made me feel good. Uh, yeah, you had ear pods in listening to another church somewhere else. Um, because we're going to talk about sin. And to be very honest, we don't like to talk about that. Churches don't like to talk about that. Even just in our world, for us to walk out and to say, hey, this is sin and this is, you know, like, people don't like that. Because then, then you get that judgmental, like, well, who are you to judge me? And we have that big fight about that. But the Bible is clear, and we need to be clear about our sin because uh, we need to know what the Lord wants us to do with our life. And at the same time, we need to know what the Lord doesn't want us to do with our lives. And those are key things, Right? Like, there's nothing more frustrating. I remember being a kid. There'd be nothing more frustrating than not knowing the rules of the house. Like, what can I do? What can I not do? And then you just kind of just try to live life, and then you get your hand slapped because you didn't know that was not a rule. Or then you get yelled at because you weren't doing this. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to be. And so we have to lean into the Word of God, and we have to take a hard look at our lives and say, is my life lining up? with what the Lord would want for my life? Or are there areas of my life where I'm stepping outside of the boundaries and the lines of what he would consider sin? Because a lot of times what we want to do is say, well, I don't, I don't know if I call that a sin. <laughs> cool. The next time you speak everything into creation and your God, you can, you can talk about what sin is and what sin isn't. But the last time I checked, we're, we're creation, not creators. And so we don't get to say what we think is sin and what isn't sin. Because that line of right and wrong, that morality, isn't something that just God commands. It flows out of who he is. It flows out of his character. And so for us to say, hey, I don't think that's sin, or I think this is sin, you know, maybe we go legalistic, we're attacking God's character. Like, understand the depth of what is happening there. And so John is writing, and I'm, we're only going to be in three verses this morning. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, there's some hard verses when we think about that, for all that is in the world, you know. So if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Like, let that sink in and like just kind of marinate in your heart. That when we love the world and we run after that, what we're saying is we don't want the love of the Father. 
Like that you can't have both. You can't live, you know, Monday through Saturday for sin and whatever that you want and the debauchery and then walk in here on Sunday and be like, ah, full of the love of the Father. Like God looks at our hearts. Like we, we judge ourselves by our motives, but the Lord looks at our hearts. He, he understands that we're, we're making a game of our lives. And there are some things that we don't need to make a game out of. And so when you hear that, starting out in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world, he's not talking about like the planets. You know, it's not saying that you can't go on a nice hike and appreciate the mountains and the sunset. Like you can't look at another sunrise and be like, I don't love the world, this looks ugly. No, 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 he's not talking about appreciating his creation. The world here is an orderly system that functions apart from God. So it's a value system, it's a way, and it's an orderly system of doing life that is apart from God. So we're not talking about like a mass of humanity like we would see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He's referencing all of humanity there. And we're not talking about the planet, but we're talking about this orderly system that functions apart from God. And who would be in charge of an orderly system that's trying to rival God's kingdom but leaves him out. Well, we have a very real enemy. And that's where, again, we get into more trouble with our world. Even say, hey, this is sin and that there's actually a real spiritual being that is controlling that. Now, not everything that bad happens in our lives is Satan attacking you, right? Sometimes we hear that or you hear people say that, like, oh, I'm just under attack. No, you're just being stupid, right? You're just making bad decisions. That's not Satan. He really doesn't need to attack you. You're just doing it to yourself. You know, it's almost like an autoimmune disease. You're just attacking yourself. He, he doesn't even need to be hands-on with you, right? But what we do know is that he'll never waste an opportunity. And so if we're going to destroy ourselves, well, he's got better places he could go and work. But it is still under his orderly system that we sometimes can replicate and act in that same manner, and we could carry out the schemes of the evil one even in our own lives. So it's not even that he needs to move and work and attack us. We're doing a great job of it on our own. And so Satan wants to promote a counterfeit, godless, destructive, but here's the key, but an attractive order. It's going to be attractive to us. It's going to spur up the desires in our heart and our mind. And this is what John is talking about. And in this order that he has, Satan wants us to change what holds weight in our lives. Remember we talked last week that we need to get our weight up. And what are the things that are holding too much weight in our lives? Well, Satan wants to change what holds weight in our lives. Do we have the weight of the world on our shoulders and in our hearts, or do we have the weight of Christ in our life? And so he outlines these three kind of broad topics for all that is in the world. So everything that is in the world, not of the love of the Father, but this is in the world, and you're going to think it's like external things. You're going to think he's going to talk about these big behavioral, uh, you know, debauchery things that are happening, the depravity of the world. And he says, it's the desires of the flesh or the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes and it's the pride of life. See, all three of these put self as number one. It puts us in the priority seat of what our whole world is about. This is about me. 
And this is how Satan is trying to change the weights that we hold in life, is that we weigh ourselves far more than what we really should. You can go clear back to Genesis 3 in the garden. Man's weight changed. If you look, so when Satan and this form of a serpent is tempting Eve, he attacks God's word. Did God really say? He attacks God's character that you could not eat from any tree. So he's attacking God's generosity, which is the same way that God is being attacked today in being attacked in his word, being attacked in his character. Oh, if God is all loving, how could he allow bad things to happen? So it's the same attack clear from the very beginning. But listen to what Eve said. The verse six, she saw that the tree was good for food. There's the lust of the flesh. That it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So here's the pride of life. The same three things that John is talking about right here, we see Adam and Eve fall to this. A lot of times we want to put all the blame on Eve. Well, Adam was just standing by, passive being a loser, not being the man that God called him to be. So the moment that this snake started talking to Eve, he should have grabbed it, tied it in like a pretzel knot and threw it. But he doesn't. He just lets it keep talking. But that's the key is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and this boastful, boastful pride of life that we see Adam and Eve fall to. Why? Because they put too much weight on themselves. They even put too much weight on their physical death that Satan, he changes not just their priorities, but their perspective. If you remember, because Satan, the serpent, looks at them and says, oh, you will not surely die. And so they eat and they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And it's the same ammo that Satan wants to use today, that he wants us to focus far more on our physical death so that we hold to this life more than to hold on to our, what spiritual death could be, a spiritual separation from God. That we fear what's going to happen after I'm done breathing more than am I living in separation from God. And so Satan changes our perspective. He changes our priorities. And here's the, here's the idea. We need to lose some weight. It's New Year's, right? Now we're not talking physical body size. So if you're on like some New Year's resolution and you're not eating sugar and all that, great for you. Rock on. It's not about what we see in ourselves when we look in the mirror. What do we see in ourselves when we look at our hearts? How much weight of ourselves is taking too much? You know, John 3.30, John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. Some of us need to go on that same kind of diet. That I need to decrease in the amount of weight that I take up in my life. That I need to remove myself from the throne of my heart. I need to decrease. Somebody else needs to increase. And his name is Jesus. And so we, humanity, that is how sin entered the world right there through these same three sins that John is talking about thousands of years later that we are talking about a couple more thousand years later that are still causing issues. That every sin we could boil down to these three areas. No, no temptation has come upon you that is different. We're all in the same boat. And so we fell to this attractive order. We looked at the fruit. Yeah, it looks pretty good. It's probably good for food. It's going to make me wise. We, we fell to these three things because it's an attractive thing. But what about Jesus? You know, sometimes you hear Adam and Eve, Adam's the first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam. Well, if you fast forward to Matthew 4, Satan, the Holy Spirit, 
leads Jesus into the wilderness, and Satan tempts him in the same three areas that he had victory in Adam and Eve in the garden. So now instead of a garden, he's out in the wilderness, and he's looking at Jesus, who has fasted 40 days and 40 nights, which I can't go 40 minutes at times, so like 40 days, 40 nights is crazy thoughts to me. And he says, turn these stones to become bread, lust of the flesh. Like, Hunger is a real need in our life. Thirst is a real need in our life. There's certain natural desires in us that God gave us. But then we try to fulfill them and, and we manipulate them to a sinful negative way. And so here he's trying to get Jesus to fall to the lust of his flesh and that didn't work. He says, no, 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 we're going to live. Did the lights just flash or was that me? Okay. But I'm losing it again. Here we go. <laughs> so he doesn't fall to the lust of the flesh, and then he takes him up on, a, up on the temple, and he says, throw yourself down. And Satan even quotes Scripture to Jesus. He twists it like Satan knows Scripture. So just because somebody quotes Scripture to you doesn't mean that they are spiritual and in tune with the Lord because Satan knows it very well. Even people that say they believe in God, yeah, so do the demons, and they shudder. But how much of our world says, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I'm spiritual, as they rub crystals all over themselves and all that craziness. But Jesus wouldn't throw himself down. He wouldn't test the Lord. That's the pride of life, where Jesus isn't even going to try to look at the Father and say, prove to me how important I am to you. But how many times do we do that in our everyday lives, that we have to somehow muster up how important we are to the Lord? Now, we can't outrightly say that because that sounds like heresy, but we live it. Because we look at God and we have those emotions and those thoughts like, God, how could you do this to my life? How could you allow this? Like, aren't I more important than this? We live that way. And then he took him up on a high mountain and he showed him all the earth, all the kingdoms. And he says, hey, if you bow down and worship me, you could have all of this. Lust of the eyes. See, Jesus didn't allow this world to have too much weight in his life, but every time he always went back to God. That every time he was attacked in these three areas, the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, the pride of life, Jesus went back to the Lord, to his Father. And if Jesus is some sort of an example for us, which he is, and if he used Scripture to fight temptation against Satan shouldn't we? And if he always ran back to the Father, shouldn't we? Which one of my favorite things to talk about when you look at that Matthew 4 passage when he's being tempted. You know what book of the Bible Jesus quoted three times to fight off the temptation of the devil? Deuteronomy, right? And don't we just wake up and think, oh, I can't wait to jump into Deuteronomy. Like, I've been dying. You know, no, like, we read John, and we love to hear the, you know, God loves us. And, but it's like, imagine if our knowledge of Deuteronomy was like the weapons that we had to be able to attack temptation in our life. I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nobody wakes up and thinks Deuteronomy, but that's where, that's where the Lord Jesus was at, that he used scripture and he used his heart for the Lord. That's how he fought temptation. Gives us kind of a little example of how we should do that. But what about us? How do we do in those three areas? The lust of the eyes, the lust of our flesh, the boastful pride of life. How much do we love and are attracted to this world? So when John is saying, do not love the world, are we like, oh yeah, that's easy, John? Or is it like, ah, oh, 
this is going to be hard. Kind of like that New Year's resolution. You start working out. The first week is like, this hurts. I don't like this. I'm breathing so hard. I'm about to throw up a lung. Like, I, I don't want to do this whatsoever. It's because we love the world far more than what we actually think. We're far more out of shape. We actually have ourselves at so much more weight than what we would say verbally. But where the rubber meets the road of our faith, we really do still sit on the throne of our hearts far more. And it's not that we're even in the passenger seat and we're letting Jesus drive. Sometimes he's not even in the car with us. And we're just driving wherever we want. But we have to see that in our hearts. We have to see that in ourselves. And we have to remember, Satan's crafty. He's cunning, right? He is the father of lies. And we think very blatant lies. You know, like, oh, the earth is flat kind of a lie. Which, how could it be flat if it's hollow? You know what I mean? Like, just going, no. Just teasing, just, just, just poking the bear. But we think very blatant lies, but we need to think counterfeits. That's, that's how the father, or the father of lies, not the father, the father of lies operates. It's through counterfeits. But if we don't know the truth well, we're going to fall to counterfeits pretty easy. And there's a lot of ministries that are pushing out counterfeit Christianity very, very well. I remember one time we were, I took a world religions class and one of the, one week all we focused on was counterfeit gospels. And we were walking through a few of these and I stopped at one point and I looked at my professor and I said, I could teach this to my students and nobody would know. That it is just so close to the real thing, but just off by a little bit. And only in a few areas. It's not like all of it is completely wrong, but it's a few key areas that it's just off by a little bit. And when we start there, we don't think it's that much. It's not that big of a deal. Like, okay, like there's differing beliefs in Christianity. We don't, we're not all in perfect, you know, uh, melody, but we're in harmony. And we think of it that same way. But when we look at those key areas that we're off, and when you carry that out, all of a sudden, now that you've been walking in that, and that's what frames your mind and your faith, all of a sudden you find yourself at completely different areas. Usually the three areas that I've seen where you find counterfeit gospels is going to be in creation, in the person of Jesus, and the word of God. Counterfeit gospels will attack those three areas every time. And so we, we, and we have to understand it's not only a counterfeit, it's going to be a slow process. It's going to be very gradual. It's not going to be real fast in movement. He's hunting. He's crouching at the door like a lion. Have you ever seen a lion hunt? They'll barely move when they're stalking their prey. Because they can get real close. And you don't even see movement happening. We went on a hike one time. We went on this hiking trip to Colorado, me and my son and some other guys. And we were like, should we be worried about bears? And they're like, nah, bears are only just looking for some food. You need to worry about mountain lions. Like, okay, even better. That made me feel so much better. Like smaller, more agile animal, but just as ferocious. And they're like, yeah, and you won't see them. They like to stalk you and sneak up on you. Yeah, keep talking. This is really helping me. And like, all I got is like a pocket knife and a flashlight. So I like, I'm going to signal for help. 
you know, and whittle for them. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. And it's the same way the enemy loves to do with us, that Satan just likes to stalk us and crouch up on us and get real nice and close so that when the attack happens, there's nothing you can do about it. Because we've already fell to some of this counterfeit and we fell to this gradual process. We had one sermon, we talked about how it's almost like walking over and just hitting the thermostat one degree. If I walked over there and hit the thermostat one degree, most of you would say, amen, it's cold in here. We'd go over there and hit it one more time. And we just gradually do that. And before you know it, we're all in here sweating and then we've raised the tent 10 degrees, but we didn't even feel it. That's exactly how our enemy likes to do this. You know, James 4.4 4 says, first, we're going to become friends with the world, right? And we've done that. I've, I used to hear it all the time as a student pastor. We'd have our students, and they're like, oh, I've, that boy or that girl finally said yes. We're going to prom. We're going out. And, and you know, we would ask them that question, like, oh, are they you know, kind of like one of those students? Or are they, you know, do they love the Lord? Do they know Jesus? They don't, but they said they'd start coming to church with me. So we got missionary dating going on, which always worked out, right? That is, that is the number, way, number one way that the Lord loved to work in students was missionary dating. You know, go out and find the lost, date them, and bring them into the church. That's exactly. And so we're friends with the world, and then slowly but surely, then we become stained by the world. James 1.27 calls us to be unstained from the world. So we become friends with the world, and then we become stained by the world. That's where we become tolerant and accepting of that world order. That's where you start hearing the things like, uh, is that really sin? I mean, I know what the Bible says, but is it really sin? How do you define sin apart from the Bible? What you feel is right in your own life? No. Our feelings can't drive our faith. Our feelings don't drive what's right and wrong, a moral standard. A, not just a moral law, but a moral law giver is what, what delineates for us what is right and wrong. But that's where we become stained by the world. We start becoming tolerant and accepting of that world order. And then lastly, we become conformed to the world. We don't heed Paul when he says, do not be conformed by the world, then we're just like the world. And what's really hard about this is that when we become like the world, the world stops hating us. 1 John three thirteen. John tells us, don't be surprised, the world's going to hate you. Why? Because you are living opposite of the value system, the order of the world. Of course the world's going to hate you. But then we become friends with the world, become stained by the world, then the world, we conform to the world, and the world stops hating us. That's kind of nice. It's kind of nice not to be hated, right? I, I don't want to be hated by anyone. And some of you might be thinking, well, I, I don't feel hated by the world. Take that as a sign. There's a reason for that. Again, Satan doesn't attack those that are already walking in darkness. You feel like your life is under attack by the enemy. There's a reason for that. Because darkness only attacks light. Darkness doesn't attack other darkness. Darkness is going after the light of the world. And this is how easy this worldliness, when we talk about the love of the world, it's worldliness. This is how quickly this can become, that we become attached to and preoccupied with the things of this life. Now, yes, we are supposed to live in this world, but we're not of this world. And we cease to do Colossians 3, 2. We cease to set our minds on things above, and instead we set our minds on the things on this earth. 
that we care far more about the activities, the value system, and what is going on in this, you know, maybe we get 80 years of our life here. We're so far more worried about that than the eternity that we have promised to us by faith in Jesus. Francis Chan does a great illustration, and if I had an, an eternity amount of rope, I would use it. But he brings out this massive rope analogy, and at the very tip, he colors like that part of it red. He's like, that's your life right there. And then everything else is eternity. And we put so much weight here, we set our minds so much on this part of our life, and we don't set our minds on everything else. We act like only this life matters. We act like the eternal life that we have with Christ doesn't. Because we're setting our minds here. We're not setting our minds on the things above. And so we're running after whatever we think looks good. We're running after whatever makes us feel good. We run after whatever we think is going to make us be good. Oh, if I could just do that. And then, then my life would be in the right priorities and everything would be fine. And so we're, we're running after this fleeting emotional feeling that we're trying to bring this worldliness in because the moment we feel pain or an attack or any kind of suffering, we think we're actually doing something wrong. Biblically, if we are following the Lord, expect suffering. The idea of suffering and our faith, those being antithetical, that doesn't make sense. All of Scripture, Peter would even say, don't be surprised at the fiery trouble in your life. This fiery trial that is happening, like, why are you surprised at that? You are living as a citizen of another place, not another country, but your citizenship is in heaven. You're living as a citizen of somebody, like, you're just an alien. Like, this should be hard for you. Like, we picked you up and just dropped you in some other country where you don't know the culture or the language or the value system. That's going to be very difficult for you. It's very similar for us as Christians in this world. It should be a struggle for us. But again, we can't be attached and preoccupied to the things of this life. We need to set our minds on things above. But what happens when we are too focused on the things of this world? Romans 6.21 and 1 Peter 4.3. Romans says, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? So just kind of hold that. 1 Peter 4.3 says, For the time that is past suffices for what doing, for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So understand what Peter and Paul are saying. Like, what fruit is there in keeping your minds set on the things of this world? What fruit is there in this valued, orderly, destructive, but attractive, worldly system? You know, what's one more going to do for you? What fruit is there in like one more pornographic website? What, what fruit is there in one more drunk fest? What fruit is there in getting high one more time? What fruit is there in knocking boots with that person that we know is not our spouse? Yeah, the pastor just said knocking boots. And of course, we're all, no, 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 we're good moral people. We don't struggle with those things. You want to see how slowly worldliness creeps into our life? What fruit is there at the bottom of that ice cream tub? Ooh, that one hurt. What fruit is there in scrolling social media for a couple more hours? What fruit is there working 10 or 20 more hours a week? 
And I'm not talking about the people that are working two jobs trying to make ends meet. Those of us that stroke our ego because, oh yeah, I worked 60 hours this week because we want that lifestyle of a certain financial budget or we want that position and power within a company. That's the pride of life. What fruit is there in that? What fruit is there in binge watching that new show? What fruit is really there? That's how small worldliness just to take our focus off of Jesus. We're not setting our mind on things above and we're putting on the, on the things here on this earth. What fruit is there? What fruit of this, what, what's the fruit of this world? This fleeting pleasure of sin. Again, it has to be attractive. Satan knows that. He's gonna use our natural desires that God gave us, but he wants us to use it and fulfill them in sinful ways right? Our emotions are a good thing. Like anger is a good emotion, but we use it wrong. Our desires just for basic food, water, something like, but we fulfill them in a wrong way. Like God put in us a desire. We are, we are sexual beings by creation, but we fulfill it in such a wrong way. Like it, it's God's gift to marriage, but what do we do? We just counterfeit it. And we try to find different ways that we can counterfeit it better and better, easier and cheaper, so the fruit of this world, it's just the fleeting pleasure of sin, but then it's followed up by guilt and shame and the time wasted on indulging the sin in this worldliness. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 3, it's sufficient. It's enough. One more, you're not going to find the fulfillment and the purpose in one more of any of it. Because if we're trying to find fulfillment and purpose, if we're trying to, to ease the pain of our heart because whatever we're dealing with, if it's anything other than Jesus, one more is not going to do it for you. Because you have a God-sized hole in your heart. The brokenness that you have in your heart when you run after anything else, God doesn't care if it's porn or mint chocolate chip. If we run after anything else to try to heal us, it's only going to cause more brokenness if we run after anything else but Jesus. Because Satan doesn't care. He does not care whatsoever. He's no respecter of persons or of sin. He does not care the things of this world which you choose. He just doesn't want you to choose Jesus. That's all. He just does not want you to choose the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't want you to choose the one that said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. Why? Because he has a destructive order of this world. And understand his heart, the enemy, he only wants to destroy your life. Now, is there going to be some pleasure of that sin? Absolutely. That's how you got to reel them in. Just like fishing. You got to make sure that lure looks really good. But there's a hook involved. And once you're hooked and you're reeled in, temptation brings sin, and sin brings, what's James tell us? Death. So the love of the world versus the love of the Father, they're conflicting that we can't have one or the other. We have to choose one, and you can't be on the fence. I heard one person say it's because Satan owns the fence. We got to be all in or nothing at all. But the love of the world or the love of the Father, whichever one, it has a direct connection to our desire to do the will of God. Verse 17, and the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. See, if we become numb and dissatisfied by the love of the Father, we will be apathetic and disobedient to the will 
of the Father. So, like for me as a spouse, why am, why am I obedient to my wife? Because I love her. Why do I not go on dates with other girls? Because there's a rule written down and some vow that I had to take? No, because I cherish and I love my wife. So why do we do the moral obligations, the commands of Scripture, the, hey, don't fall and walk into sin, walk in righteousness? Why do we do those? Because they're a command written in some holy book? No, because it's the heart of the Father for us so that we would have life. It is a protection. It is because we cherish the love of God. So if we become numb and dissatisfied with that love of the Father, of course we're going to be apathetic and disobedient. But if we delight ourselves, if we enjoy the love of the Father, we have a passion and a zeal for the will of the Father. Like last night, I was painting toenails and fingernails on my two little girls. Blue and pink, and we did a little glitter overcoat. Oh, it was awesome. And they were so excited. You know what? And when I was done, if I would have looked at one of them and said, hey, would you go into the kitchen? Would you grab, would you get me a glass of water? They would love to do that. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Why? Because they experienced the love of the Father just in painting some nails. That following and doing something that their father asked them to do. Why? Because they're on cloud nine on the love of the Father. And just for a mini sermon real quick, just so you know, as a earthly father, we uh, reflect a spiritual father, and love is spelled T-I-M-E. And that's one way that the Lord is really impacting me. What am I doing with my time? Am I setting it on things above, or am I worried about this? Well, what kind of spiritual impact is there in painting your little girl's fingernails? They understand the love of a father. They understand servant leadership. And so we need to delight ourselves in the love of the Father, and that's where we'll have a passion and a zeal for the will of the Father. And so a couple things just want to close in. Turn to John 17. John 17 is this high priestly prayer. John records Jesus praying before he's going to be arrested and crucified and killed. He prays. And you know what's crazy? He prayed for you, and he prayed for me. Can you think about that, that Jesus prayed for us? And this is one of the things that he said. Look at verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Because a lot of times we see this worldly, orderly, uh, destructive, godless, secular order that our world is, just, is what it is. And we think, how do we get away from that? You know, and we used to have that ascetic movement where we all become monks and we move to a high mountain to get away from the sinners. And the only thing that we happened is when we built the castle and we sat there by ourselves, it was full of sinners because the issue isn't external. The things of this world that are passing away, what are they? Lust and desire and pride. But no matter where you go, you're going to have that struggle that you're always going to be in conflict with this world system. Why? Because it's not external, it's internal. So how do we, so even Jesus is saying, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. No, leave them right where they're at in the middle of the sinful brokenness that is controlled by a very real enemy that hates us. But what do I want you to do with them? Keep them from the evil one. 
Guard them, protect them, sanctify them is what he's going to continue on saying. So how do we separate ourselves from this worldly system? Separation from the world is Christ-likeness in the world. That's what Jesus said even in the Sermon on the Mount. Go be a light up on that city. Well, where's light going to shine the best? In darkness. Don't separate yourselves physically. That's not going to do it. Separate yourself spiritually. Set your mind on the things that are above. Get your weight up in the things that weigh the most in our life. And that should be the Lord. So don't abide in this world. Don't love this world. Abide in Jesus and fight against the desires of your lust and your flesh and the pride of your life. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Get over it. Understand that we are called to a high task. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Prepare yourself for battle. There's a reason they call it the armor of God. Three verses I want to give you for the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Romans 13, 14, Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we take some of those big sins that we talked about, like nobody forced you to jump on your computer and go to those websites. Nobody made you swipe left or right on Tinder. I don't even know what it is. Nobody forced you to do that. You made that decision. That third pail of mint chocolate chip didn't just jump out of the freezer and jump in there so you could drown your pain and sorrows away. Again, Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care if it's drugs, alcohol, or sugar. He just wants to destroy your life. But make no provision for the flesh. Like, don't give it an opening. Don't even, don't leave yourself open. Like, you have to be on guard. Don't give any provision for your flesh. You got to put some boundaries in your life. One of the ways I do it, like, I've said this openly so many times, every device that I own has an accountable software on it that board members and other pastors, not even of our church, because they would decide for me, right? They would just put it under the rug. They're all rotten. No, real people that would call for my job if I'm doing anything inappropriate with this. I'm not going to make a provision for the flesh. I'm going to make it real hard for these sins to try to creep back into my life. And we need to put on guard the same way. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, Right? Lay down the weight of the world. We need to get our weight up in the things that matter. Let us run with endurance. That's why we need to get our weight up so we have endurance and strength, perseverance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the founder of our faith. So where should our eyes be fixed? We say that spiritually. I would even say it physically. Keep looking to Jesus. Put Bible verses, write them on cards, put them all over your house. You go to brush your teeth, there's one in the mirror. You go over here to make a pot of coffee, there's another. Put the word of God before you. Put worship music on, like keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And then lastly, I think one of the hardest ones, how do we fight the pride of life? James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Ask the Lord to humble you. And I'm telling you right now, that's a dangerous prayer. But humble yourself before the Lord and let him exalt you. Don't try to exalt yourself. Let him exalt you. Because we're in a really, we're in a very real battle. And this matters. 
our fight, our view of sin, our fight against sin, our view of righteousness, and our ability to walk in obedience to the Lord, this matters right now. This matters. How we live our lives today, like on our every normal, everyday, Monday normal life, it's going to matter to the Lord. We're going to stand before him. We're going to have to give an account. Did we go after the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh? Did we live in the pride of our life, or did we set our minds on Christ and the things that are above? So take a hard look in the mirror, not physically, but spiritually. And some of us need to get our weight up. And there's other things that some of us need to get that weight down because it's taken too much weight in our lives and it's destroying us. And the love of the Father says, I have a better way. If you would just reach out, take my hand, trust me, let me lead and guide your life. I want to give you life and life abundantly. That's a promise that the Lord wants to fulfill in your life. The question is, do you have a heart of willingness to allow him to do it? Father, we love you. We trust you and we just thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to dig deep in your word. It's turbulent, it's rocky, but it's the safest place for us to be because we know we have a very real enemy that's trying to bring this destruction and damage to our lives, not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, and eternally. But I pray, Lord, that we would make no provision for it, that we would stand firm on the truth of who you are your word and that we would live our lives in response accordingly in obedience to you. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said...